0: so I'm not going to throw the Greek up this morning. Uh, That that is the correct response. We'll see about next week. Uh, We are in Romans and now in verse 3 of chapter 1, which begins, Paul, a devoted slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, regarding his Son, who as to his flesh was a descendant of David, or who was born from the seed of David, according to the flesh. Think about all the times you've thought about somebody who has talked about sharing the gospel. Maybe you have had an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody else, or somebody has shared it with you. Or somebody's walked in front of you while you're trying to share the gospel, perhaps. How many times has David ever come up? Once again, it seems we're seeing here in Romans that Paul is telling a story that seems to be a little bigger than the one we often think about when we think about the gospel. No? Here's the story... Up to this point. And of course, we've just spent a year in Torah, so this this history is all going to be very familiar, right? Right? Amen? Yes? Okay, good. Yeah, right. So, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? If this is the timeline, here's creation, right? Adam and Eve created... To be co regents with God, to exercise dominion, stewardship over creation, and then what do they do? They blow it. So, creation, we have fall, not now when the snow falls, but the fall of humankind, the introduction of sin into the cosmos, and then we have God's people, at that point only two of them, evicted from the garden that God had placed for them, placed them in, right? We had the whole thing with the flood. We have giants. And then, what do we get? One very, very special man. Not yet. Abraham. 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 And this, now we're looking at, uh, this is sort of prehistory. Abraham is probably somewhere around 1800 B.C. or B.C.E., if you want to be polite about it. Abraham chosen to be the one through whom God would bless all of humanity, right? Rather impressive commission. God says to Abraham, I will make your name great, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, right? So we have Abraham, then we have Isaac, then we have Jacob, then we have uh, the captivity in Egypt, and then somewhere around... 1400s, maybe the 1200s, we don't know, not important, really, unless your academic career depends on writing papers about that. So you've had the captivity in Egypt here, and then you have the exodus, God's people rescued out of slavery. They're in, in the uh, desert, they get, they're given Torah so that they can enter into the land. Right? And then you get the period of the conquest. Or, as often happens, the failure to conquer. Right? This is the period of the judges. Anybody remember the really cool word that, uh, that uh, describes the theopolitical structure of the time of the judges? No. <laughs> this is the amphictyony. Anybody remember that? Yeah, sure. The Amphictyony. This is back when we were in the theater. All right, so the Amphictyony. And then we have the development of sometime around a thousand or so. We get the monarchy. First we get Saul, and then we get David, David right? Okay. Uh, so we have the monarchy, we have Saul, we have David, we have David's son Solomon, and then we have what? Civil war, right? Basically, tax revolt leads to a division of the two kingdoms. And then, uh, so you have the northern kingdom, which is uh, Samaria, and is usually referred to there in the history and the prophets as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is referred to as Judah, right? Around 722, anybody remember what happens then? the northern kingdom falls. And then 586, the southern kingdom falls. And that is about to happen when our friend Jeremiah is writing. Hear now the words of the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 33... This is basically at a point where Jerusalem is under siege. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of Yahweh came to him a second time. This is what Yahweh says, he who made the earth, Yahweh who formed it and established it, Yahweh is his name. Call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. For this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this city and the royal palaces of Judah, that have been torn down to be used against the siege ramps and the sword in the fight with the Babylonians. They will be filled with the dead bodies of the people I will slay in my anger and wrath. I will hide my face from this city because of all its wickedness. This kind of cheerful message is what what got Jeremiah shut up in the guard tower in the first place. Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they've committed against me, and I will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble. At the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. This is what Yahweh says. You say about this place, it's a desolate waste without people or animals. And it is now. But in the towns of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted right now, that are inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of Yahweh, saying, Give thanks. To Yahweh of hosts, for Yahweh is good, his love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says Yahweh. And this is what Yahweh of hosts says. In this place, desolate without people or animals, in all its towns there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. In the towns of the hill country, in the western foothills, and of the negative Negev, in the territory of Benjamin, and the villages around Jerusalem, and in the towns of Judah, flocks will again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, says Yahweh. The days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. So Jeremiah right now is prophesying to Judah, the southern kingdom. But he's right now he's talking about both. God's saying, I'm going to fulfill the promise I made to Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch, sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called Yahweh, our righteous Savior. For this is what Yahweh says. David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel nor will those Levitical priests ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present present sacrifices. The word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah. This is what Yahweh says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites, who are priests ministering before me, can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars in the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. The word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah. Haven't you noticed that these people are saying Yahweh has rejected the two kingdoms he chose? So they despise my people and no longer regard them as a nation. But this is what Yahweh says. If I have not made my covenant with day and night and established the laws of heaven and earth, Then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his sons to rule over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No. The sun rises and sets, right? I haven't quit that one. I'm not going to quit this promise either. I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, Yahweh, our righteous Savior. And very quickly, what we see here that God is promising is he's promising that there's going to that he's going to deliver his people from his enemies, right? He's going to deliver or save his people from their enemies. He's promising that he is going to establish just government. David's line, and he's promising that he will establish a glorious king that will draw the nations to God. He's establishing a glorious kingship that will draw the nations, those nations that were rebelling against God and his people. God is now going to have a glorious kingship that is going to draw those nations. And very, very quickly, I want us to just look at a couple of places elsewhere in the prophets where we see this going on. In Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Remember, what did Paul say, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures? Paul went off after, basically after he became a follower of Jesus. He basically went off in the desert for about ten years and hung around reading his his scrolls. So this is the sort of thing that Paul is coming up with based on his study, what the Spirit is showing him about what he has been promising ahead of time in the prophets. So in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, "...nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress." Actually, it sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Guy can spit. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As soldiers rejoice when dividing the plunder, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. You have God delivering his people from their enemies here and establishing a just Government and David's line. It just wouldn't be complete without looking at Ezekiel, so let's do that. Ezekiel 34, verse 23 and 24, he says, This is what the, what, uh, the Lord Yahweh says to them See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. He's talking about his people and how he's got these false shepherds, basically, these shepherds who should be feeding the sheep and they end up feeding on the sheep. These wicked rulers. He says, because you shoved with flank and shoulder butting all the weak sheep with your horns till you've driven them away, I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. Here, God's saving his people from their enemies, who in this case are the people who are in charge of them. Not that any of us ever have that experience. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, Yahweh, will be their God. My servant David will be prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. And he says the same thing in chapter 37. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They'll live in the land I gave my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Our God is establishing that just government in David's line. And then one more in Isaiah 55, a different part of Isaiah. This is the second part of Isaiah that we'll be looking at uh, during Advent. We'll be going Isaiah 48 through 53. But Isaiah 55, you may have heard this one read, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters of You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what's not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you do not know, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. See, if you remember, the whole deal with Abraham was not that God picked one people and decided he was going to make them feel really, really special. No, it was that through... God's people, the whole world would be blessed. And this is what he's talking about here in the prophets. This is what he's going to be bringing about. Because, of course, after this, after the southern kingdom falls, you have exile. You get the people brought back to the land, but they're never really in charge. They're always kind of ruling under the authority of somebody else. You get A few years under the Maccabees where they threw off the yoke for for a little bit. But basically, there's still a feeling, even though the people are back in the land, they're under somebody's thumb. There's a sense that they're still in exile. So when Jesus comes along, the people are waiting for these promises to be fulfilled, for these prophecies to come true. They're waiting still. For the one who is going to be in David's line, who is going to deliver and save his people from their enemies, including their own corrupt rulers, who's going to establish just government in David's line. They're they're waiting for that glorious kingship that will draw all the nations to God. And what Paul's trying to say here at the beginning of Romans is that this is exactly what God's doing. And here's the interesting part, and I'll close with this. He is doing it in much the same way he did it with David, with a bunch of schmucks. David, chapter 22, 1 Samuel left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's house sold heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were there with him. This was David's posse. This was his crew. All the people who were in debt, all the people who were just disenchanted. He had all the grumpy people, all the grumblers. He had all the people who were dispossessed. They were in distress, and they all showed up, And they were the people that David had to do the work he needed to do to get the throne back. And much in the same way, you find Jesus, when he calls his disciples, doesn't call the most glorious or the brightest or the most virtuous. He calls 12 schmucks too. And the pattern, as we're going to see in Romans, is that God continues in this habit with the church. Nothing personal. (laughs) But this is the story that we're part of too. And we'll continue with it next week. Let's pray as the worship team comes back up. Lord, we are grateful that even though we're schmucks, we're your schmucks. And we are grateful that you are working out your cosmic purposes in your way through your people that you choose. We're grateful that your spirit empowers us to live for you, and we pray that we would be faithful to do that. We pray that we'd be faithful individually, and that especially on this day when we have renewed our commitment as a church to be your people, pray that we at New Hope would be faithful to be your kingdom agents. We ask that this would be a good part of the story that you are telling throughout the ages we ask that this would be to your glory in Christ Jesus Amen Amen